Hey everyone, this is Chris and Sandy Benton with the Chris and Sandy Show. We get up close and personal with some amazing rising artists. And today, as always, I always say we got a great show for you because we always do. We have Sycamore coming on. She's done some great things. She's even in the in the CMT Class of 2020 Next Women of Country. So we're definitely proud to have her on and all that. She's definitely moving, shake, moving and shaking and going places in, in the whole music world. And we're looking forward to hearing parts of her story and, and definitely talking about music. So, Sycamore, are you here? I'm here. How are you? I'm doing great. And yourself? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And Sandy, are you here? Make sure my wife is here. <laughs> uh, y- yes, I'm here. Yes. Hi, Sandy. <laughs> we're, we're on phone. We're Hi. on phones just like you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Different rooms <laughs> <laughs> so that there's no feedback. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> One day awesome. I'll probably use a mic and we can both be in the same room. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's, I like to pace when I talk. And right. a, a microphone would be kind of hard. So, you know, I don't know why. I just I just feel more comfortable when I'm talking. I just pace. I don't know why, but I just. <laughs> no, I get that. <laughs> so as we get started here, um, I always like to start with the elephant in the room. I think everybody pretty much is nowadays, but the big elephant in the oh, room. Oh, yeah. How are you coping and getting through COVID? Oh, <laughs> I didn't know. I wasn't sure what the elephant in the room was going to be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's. I feel like my answers aren't going to be very original, but I think they're effective. Like, I think you just have mm-hmm. to learn how to take everything in very short term, just day by day, but try and figure out you know, try to anticipate some of your reactions as you go through this and just learn what maybe is making you stressed and how you can relieve that stress and like really just make your world really small, you know, like the people immediately around you, like, and I think that's at first that was hard for everybody because we live in such a a world that we're always looking to the next thing, the next thing. And we have our next two years planned yeah. out, especially, you know, artists, sometimes some of these artists, you know, you got, you got your five years planned out for you. And now everything's just very uh, obviously just questionable. Nobody Don't knows know. what's going to happen. And there's some relief in that, but there's obviously some anxiety that comes with it. And so it's really just the trick is just changing your perspective and just figuring out things you can control and just taking it day by day. That is awesome. And, you know, I definitely understand what you're saying, too. I remember when, you know, when we launched this show in January, our original plan was maybe 80 to 100 interviews first year. And that was a, wow. that would be a good plan. You know, that, that would be a mm-hmm. lot, you know, for the first year of, of operating. But when the shutdown happened, I told Sandy, you know what, this might be our foundational building year. I was like, this is yeah. our time to shine because yeah. artists are going to need a place to talk. And I was like, we're going to give them that platform. And because That's of great. that decision, you're now our 183rd interview. That's crazy. Well, congratulations. I mean, <laughs> y'all have almost overshot it by, you know, 100%. <laughs> like, well, now our goal is 300 for the year. Yeah, oh, I think 300 years ago. <laughs> so I think it's, it's pretty it's, awesome that. You guys have been able to pivot and just, you know, embrace it and see the good. I think um, that's really awesome. It's about all we could do because we're like, you know, I mean, it's not like we want to capitalize on a crisis, but you know what? We we can't change it. So we might as well do what we need. No, I think that's just adapting, you know, just seeing your your circumstance and adapting. I don't think it's it's, uh, taking advantage or anything. I think that's just 
that's what we mm-hmm. we need to to do as humans. You just gotta pivot with what's going on. Absolutely. <laughs> so as we get started, before we really dig deep, I always like you to go a little. Have a couple questions where we go light. So, what are some hobbies you like to do outside of music? And you probably got uh, more now. Is... Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. Like I, as as an artist, you always because you're not going to an office every day. I remember I used to kind of struggle answering this question because you feel like you're working all the time sort of because you're always thinking about uh-huh. something you'd like mm-hmm. to do or you might be half like working on something <laughs> while you're watching TV or whatever. But um, I've always really liked photography and videography and um, I've gotten, yeah, a little more into that in the quarantine. And um, I'm also like I do a lot of it in my my work too. Like I'll do um, – some graphic design and stuff for my job, but I just as a hobby straight up, I've always really liked it. And, um, let's see what else. I feel like so many of my hobbies somehow bleed into my, into my job. I mean, I like to travel. <laughs> haven't been able to travel. You know, that one's definitely been on hold, but, um, yeah, anything visual, any kind of visual art I'm really into. So yeah, videography and, oh, awesome. and photos are a big thing. Love that. Love that. So what would you say is something quirky about you? Oh, my whole personality. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I like to read also. I guess I should bring that one up. And something that my manager likes to tease me about a lot is um, I'm quite curious about human anatomy. And so I actually have a few, like, <laughs> anatomy books. And, and uh, actually one time I was reading – I have one that's just on my iPad, and I was just reading while I was waiting for a plane to take off. And these two people beside me were like, Oh, are you are you a student? Are you studying to be a nurse? And I was like, no. I'm like, I can see why you would think that, but no. <laughs> I just do this for fun. Wow. <laughs> so that's pretty quirky. Yeah. So don't let don't let the CSI unit know this, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. So, at what age did you know this could be a career? Now, granted, because there's always two. There's always a point where you want to do music. But then there's that right. point where you look in the mirror and you're like, this could be a career. What was that moment? Yeah, I'm glad that you know there's kind of a distinction there because um, for me there were definitely those two points. Like I was um, lucky enough to, to start singing really young and get opportunities just locally really young. Um, and so when I was like 11 or 12, I thought I wanted to be a singer and that was, it was just, you know, that kind of little kid aspiration. And then as I got a little bit older into junior high, I noticed like all the, especially the women that were on the radio during that time were like Beyonce and Christina Aguilera. And they all had these really mm-hmm. like powerhouse diva voices. And I don't sing like that. And I can't really sing like that. And I remember thinking as a kid, like, if that's, how you have to sing to get on the radio I don't think I can do it and I got really discouraged and really just uh-huh. kind of shifted my focus I wanted uh after that I wanted to be an actor and it took a few years I got really involved in theater in high school and um when I graduated I moved to uh a bigger city I lived in a really small town and I moved to the mm-hmm. big city and I wanted to be an actor and then oh, well. when I got to college my music friends I had a lot of friends who were musicians and they were just very mm-hmm. patient with me and were like <laughs> be hanging out and you know they'd be like do you want to do you want to write a song like they were just very musical and they invited me into that space and it reminded mm-hmm. me how much I liked to sing and I liked to write 
And it was in that safe space that I realized like, Oh, I, I think I could actually make wow. this a career and, and I could make it something my own and it doesn't have to measure up to what someone else is doing as long as I'm enjoying it and it's authentic to me. And so, you know, the point where I wanted to do it, I was probably like 12. And when I actually started going for it, I was like 18. Oh, wow. Cause, and again, I always like wow. to talk about those two times because again, I think a lot of people think that, Oh, now granted there are some artists that, that they know from five years old, this is the only thing they want to do. And I get that. There yeah. are those, but it's other artists that they're for the most part, most people, they think they want it, but they really don't know they can do it until a certain point. Yeah. I think, um, I always knew I wanted to do it, but yeah, it was, it was the matter of figuring out if, the industry would let me in and if it was plausible, especially cause like I grew up in a small town in Canada and I didn't know anybody who worked in show business. It seemed very mm-hmm. unattainable and very far away. And all I, all I really thought you there was to it was to, you know, go to somewhere like New York or LA and have somebody hear you sing in a bar at an open mic night. Like I had all these kind of cliches of how you get discovered in yeah. my head. And I was like, that's not going to happen mm-hmm. here. Like it doesn't happen here. And so, I didn't. Yeah. You don't really yeah. know how it really works until so you get into it. And you know, since we're kind of going down this um, hole already, I always, I always like one thing I always like to do too on our show is talk about the side that nobody talks about. You know, everybody sees the glory of like a Blake Shelton, Miranda Carey, but they don't see the grind, the sacrifice that it takes, not just their level, but even at your level. They don't see, they don't see everything it takes. And so they misjudge mm-hmm. artists many times as, oh, they don't have a real job. <clears throat> when in reality, you've got 20 jobs, and they don't see that. Yeah. So I always like to go – I always talk, want to talk about it, and I'm going to tell us a quick story to help lead us into where I want this to go, and then we'll talk about that. Back in 2014, we interviewed Allison Steele from Two Steel Girls. And back then, okay. um, they were full-time with music. And one of the questions I asked Allison was, what advice would you give an up-and-coming artist? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, this is going to sound funny coming from someone full-time, but if your heart will allow you to do anything outside of music, go do that and just use music as a hobby. She said, the day that you want it to be a career, your life ta- you, you no longer own your life. It says the yeah. music owns you, basically. You're, the fans own you. The labels, if you ever get signed, they own you. Um, it, it says um, friends and relatives don't understand this. So uh, you know, they invite you to weddings to um, cookouts, to weekends, to holidays, but you're gigging them. And they think, well, you can just cancel the gig, no big deal. And they don't get that there's 20 people or more that's depending on that gig. You can't mm-hmm. just cancel. So they don't understand that. Then, then you might be sick this day or feel bad or just have a bad day. If you've got a gig that night, kind of get up there and smile like there's no tomorrow. Then the family has to sacrifice on top of all that. So, so there's so many sacrifices all the way around the artist that it makes it almost not worth it. But if your heart will not allow you to do anything outside of music, she went on to say, go all in because that's the only way those kind of sacrifices will ever be worth it. What do you think of what yeah. she said? And let's go there. Oh, well, I think she's right on the money. Um, I agree with everything. I think if you can <coughs> – if you can do something outside of music, you should pursue it um, because there's so much, I don't want to, I don't want to say that that's all there is, but I don't think anybody could deny there's quite a bit of heartache and um, Mm -hmm. yeah, sacrifice that you, that's inevitable in this line of work. And 
the only thing that makes all that worth it is the reward of being able to make music, being able to express and articulate your feelings and share it with people and perform it. Like if, if there's something else that could fulfill you that doesn't cost this much, I would agree. Mm -hmm. But yeah. um, Yeah. I think there's at every stage, there's hard work involved. Um, I think some people might think as, as you break more and as your audience gets bigger, that the work becomes less. Um, I don't think that, and I think it's, it's just the work becomes different. You know, it's like at first, you know, you might have to do something because you don't have um, a manager or a publicist to do it, you know, and then maybe your team gets a little bigger and they come in and they do it, but then you've got other things to focus on and it's really just, it's always changing. And so I think there is, I did read something the other day that was sort of uh, pointing out that a lot of people like to, stigmatize working in art just as like mm-hmm. having a full-time hobby like mm-hmm. it's not you're like you said yeah. it's not a real job <laughs> yeah you know it's it's definitely a real job and then some and uh I also agree with what she said about going all in and um this is something I, I like to tell people too is like if you're trying to do this halfway it's not going to work and if you're trying to do this uh and trying to pretend to be somebody else or emulate something that's already been done it's not going to work and so you need to be fully authentic and know what that means for and you and and be all in. Yeah, definitely. And I love that when you're talking about authentic because I remember back um, when we first, before we launched the show, I reached out to a Nashville friend of mine and I asked him what advice he would give us. And I'll never forget what he said. He, he said, um, I'll only give you one piece of advice. He said that, that when you start your show, be and stay authentic he said you because he knew we like bobby bones and ty bentley and people like that he says you could tell every bobby bones joke and maybe you're good at it or every ty bentley joke and maybe you're good at it and you might and maybe you're good enough to create an audience off of their personality a little bit he says but the day's going to come when authentic chris comes out and when that comes out you're going to lose every bit of your fan base because they were never attracted to authentic Chris. So if you, yeah. so he said, if you start being authentic with your show from the beginning, then although it may grow slower, you'll have the right people that you grow with. Yeah, I mean, you'll have lifelong fans instead of people that are, you know, in it because they're chasing some other some other notion, you know. And uh, yeah, I think that's it's always better, in my opinion, even if it takes longer you're going to establish a foundation that's that much firmer. If you start out and find yeah. your niche and find your people, you know, they're not going to waver. So um, as we talk about the sacrifices and the struggles, every artist has those one or two moments where they just, they're at the edge and they just feel like, you know what, is this even worth it anymore? Every art, artist we've ever talked to says there are those moments where there's that fork in the road. And yeah. and you have to make that decision for yourself to to keep, to either say you know what it's time to move on or you know what I'm going even further into this. When you get to those moments, tell us a moment that you felt like that and how you got through it. Yeah, I've had moments like that. Um, I'd say the biggest one happened when I actually moved to Nashville from from Canada. Oh, wow. um, mm-hmm. You know, I was I didn't. I knew, you know, a few people here. I moved here because I got a publishing deal. So I knew mm-hmm. the people, you know, that were working with me on my pub deal. 
but I didn't have any friends. I didn't move here with anybody. And it was just, as you can imagine, you know, a pretty big adjustment. I moved away from everybody. Like my whole family lives pretty much in the, the same province in, in Canada and in Alberta. Oh, wow. and, uh, so that we're very close and no one had ever done anything like this. And so it, in that regard, it just felt very otherworldly. I, and I didn't, I truly didn't know if I had what it took to do that. I'd never done anything mm-hmm. like that. And so it definitely took a toll. You know, I was homesick. I, I wanted all of my, my comfort zones back. I didn't have any of them. And, um, so yeah, it really made me, it put in perspective what everything actually means to me. I think it was a really good lesson mm. to learn because, you know, I obviously stayed and I found a way to stay, but it helped me realize <laughs> that, you know, family, family really matters and it's the people and the relationships and, and the quality of those in your life that make everything worth living. And mm-hmm. I think it was a good lesson to learn, but I'm also glad that I was able to hang on. And I basically said to myself, I know it sucks right now, but if you leave in this moment, you're always going to have to look back and know that you left because you were scared and you left because you were uncomfortable. You didn't leave Mm -hmm. because it wasn't working. Like I had opportunities opening up. I just got a pub deal, um, less than a, or Mm -hmm. let's see, less than two years being in Nashville, I got a record deal. And so there were opportunities abounding and it felt wrong Uh to betray those because I just felt uncomfortable. (laughs) And so I kind of, it kind of came down with, I couldn't live with myself. I was like, you know, I made a deal and I kind of said, if it starts to feel like this isn't working and you can be honest with yourself and say that it's not working and -hmm. you're unhappy, then you can go because then you'll know that you you tried your best and you left it all out on the field. But to leave in the middle of this, when everything, when every door is opening and everyone's saying yes, that would feel so wrong. And so I just couldn't live with myself and I was able to, to get through it. Love that. Cause you know, I always like to show that side of the music. Cause I think a lot of people, including artists who want to step into this realm, um, they don't understand. They, they, they see the glory and the, and the glory can be great, but like, like an, like an artist friend of mine told me one time, he says, glory is great. But you're going to be grinding and sacrificing and struggling in between glory to glory. Exactly. It's not all, it's not all glamorous and glorious. There's a lot in between there. And I, I remember somebody, maybe I read it or somebody told it to me, but they said, you know, to survive that, you have to learn to love the in-between. You have to learn to appreciate the process. Because if you are just suffering until the next big, cool moment, you know, there's going to be a lot more it's going to be miserable. gritty, gritty moments than there are cool moments. And if you're just living for the cool moments and you can't find a way to at least appreciate the process, you're not going to last. Like that's not sustainable. Yep. So you're going to have to, and it will take it's away. Honestly, all about perspective. It will take away. You're right. It, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it'll take away that cool moment because, because if you're miserable in the process, I don't care how great of a moment, it could be even singing at the Grand Ole Opry. If you are miserable in the process, you're going to be miserable when you get in that circle. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's all part of it. Yeah. Like, it's not going to make up for all the stuff you just went through. Um, I think, yeah, it's it's really just all about perspective and learning yeah, exactly. to just be patient with yourself and understand that there's suffering, but it's part of it, and you can't remove it from the process. And it doesn't matter how, how big you get or – how successful there's always going to be something you know of that nature yeah 
And now that we talked about the struggles, the sacrifices, and what it really takes <laughs> to build this crazy music business, talk about the reward side. What what all this leads to those 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 few and far between glory moments. When you look back on your career so far, what are a few moments where you're like, "Wow, I got to do that." Um, I mean, there's been quite a few. I mean, and I'm still like kind of just ramping into my career, so I have a lot more on my bucket <laughs> list that I want to take <laughs> off. But, um, you know, there I got to sing in uh, the arena in my home city in Calgary, Alberta. That was really cool. Um, just, like, I'm still really wowed singing for, for big crowds, you know. Like, that was probably north of 10,000 people, and that kind of thing just always takes your breath away. Um, mm-hmm. on, honestly, wow. the when I saw my record deal, when I saw my pub deal, those are two things I never thought would happen. Like I said, you told you before, uh, I grew up in this small rural town in, in Canada and to say that you've signed a worldwide record deal in Nashville, those are always really precious moments that you, wow. they, they feel surreal. You don't really, you don't really think it's, it's you. You almost feel like you're watching someone else's life. And the class um, of 2020. Yeah. The CMT next women class, that's a highlight for sure. Because I remember reading, you know, before I ever moved to Nashville, I would see like online or in magazines, like them advertising who the class of next women was that year. And so that was very Mm -hmm. surreal to get uh, called up for, for 2020. It's been great. That's really awesome. I love all that. And, and, you know, you definitely got a long career ahead. I really believe. And we're going to take a quick commercial break. And we're going to play your song, California King. And then when we come okay. back, we're going to talk about the song and then some more. How's that sound? All right. All right, here we go. Hey, everyone. We have partnered with another great podcast called The Sports Guys Podcast. You can find them over at thesportsguyspodcast.com. The Sports Guys Podcast is a sports and country music podcast hosted by Brandon, Nick, and Andy. They cover sports on a state, regional, and national level with many of the biggest names in the sports industry. The Sports Guys also host a Backstage Pass music segment where they go behind the scenes and talk with some of the biggest artists in country music, everything from Texas country, Americana, as well as Nashville artists. The Backstage Pass provides a more in-depth look at the musicians' rise in music as they talk about their career and tell stories about their music to share with their fans. Many of the same guests will be appearing on our show as well. Again, you can find them over at thesportsguyspodcast.com. It's a grand slam of sports and music.
Justin and we were just finishing another write and I was about to leave and we were just chatting and uh, sometimes when I think a lot of songwriters can uh, relate to this because I definitely do this all the time you kind of just always have your one ear open your channel open Mm -hmm. for something that might sound inspiring for a song and sometimes it's just a word or a turn of phrase or a melody or something and so sometimes people will say something and you'll look at your co-writer and be like, oh, we should write a song that has that in it. And Justin and I were talking, and we were talking about bed sizes, and we said something about California Kings. And (laughs) Justin, it was Justin's idea. He said, I think we should write a song called California King. And, you know, he didn't know, neither of us knew what it was going to be. But sometimes Mm -hmm. that's just how songs start. And we had another write coming up with a friend uh, a couple of days after. So I thought, well, why don't we save it and, and I'll try and work on something for our next write. And while I was home, I was trying to work out just what the first verse might be about. And I thought maybe we could make a California king into this, a guy who's just very egomaniacal and he he's really into himself. He thinks every girl wants to go out with him. He thinks he's famous in his small town and, uh, he just needs a reality check, and we so we took this tack of sort of making it like a a modern day you're so vain kind of song, and um, 
we ended up just very sparsely producing it. We wanted the lyrics to be very central and kind of the most shiny feature of the song. And it's always fun to put in some kind of tongue in cheek humor into a song. And so um, it, it just ended up leaving such a cool impression that when I put my EP out, we called it California King just because it was, uh, it's always been such an interesting turn of phrase. When you talk when telling that story, it made me think of, of that he thought he was the big fish, but in a small pond. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Nailed it. But, but, you know, if you, but, but, you know, he's a little fish in a big pond. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just one of the smallest fishes. But, yeah, I mean, and some people ask me if it's about somebody, and it's not mm. about anybody in particular, but I do think that we all know somebody like that, and so – yeah. We all can apply yeah. it to the California mm-hmm. King in our lives. <laughs> right. I love Absolutely. That. <clears throat> so another, another thing I like to do on our show that I think is very important. Um, most people, when they see the artist, they see the artist. They don't see what it really takes behind the scenes. People, as in the PR people, the managers, producers, the the team behind the artist. And me and you both know that it takes a team to do what you do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they get no love out there. So we always want to <laughs> give them the love that they deserve. So if you want to take a couple minutes to talk about the team that helps you be who you are. Yeah, well, I mean, my right-hand man is my manager, Jake Kennedy. And he um, is kind of new to the managing world, but he's crushing it. And um, I truly couldn't do this without him. We talk probably like twice a day, most days, just about – laying foundation for our future and trying to figure out just we're always trying to brainstorm ways to showcase the brand that we're building. And Mm -hmm. he and I have a very common goal of just always furthering the Sycamore brand. And we're always trying to, or I guess I should say, we're never trying to deviate (laughs) for the sake of something short term or, you know, something that might, you know, temporarily inflate us. We're always trying to play the long game and be like, is this beneficial for the brand, you know, in 10 years and 20 years, like, cause everything has to be connected. There's always a narrative that we're following. And he's so great at hearing me out, hearing my ideas, giving constructive feedback. And um, yeah, I truly, I lean on him so much. I couldn't do this without him. And then, you know, we have our folks at music Knox records, Michael Knox, who uh, signed me to his imprint on uh, broken bow BMG. It's all very, uh, it's like a family of labels that are all together. And uh, Michael really took a chance on me. I mean, I was just, he kind of just heard a few songs and liked the vibe, liked um, my music videos and stuff and took me in for a meeting. And I truly, I didn't have all that much going on. I was still very new to town and, you know, my social media numbers weren't great. And he just kind of thought, Oh, I like the music. I just want to, I want to do something with the music. Mm -hmm. So he took a big chance on me. Mm -hmm signed me and uh you're right I love that he took that tack and he was sort of just very old school about it he was like I just like the artist I don't really care about anything else and Michael's also my producer on um California King and all the songs that we've recorded that are going to come out hopefully next year and uh you know him and his team have been really great we've made some some really amazing art together I think and so um Michael Knox and Shalacy, who's also Michael's uh, kind of right-hand woman at Music Knox Records, they've been uh, very helpful. Um, and then, obviously, we work with the marketing team at um, Broken Bow, and uh, they're sort of our radio promotion people and our marketing people, and, you know, they've oh, been wow. 
super instrumental in helping with um, just the release of California King and helping with all the press leading up to that. And uh, it's been really cool um, working with them. And obviously we have uh, publicists that work with us. We have our Canadian publicist, uh, Strut Media in Canada, and then we have Shorefire Media that works with us here in Nashville. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know how, how far you want me to go. There's like so many different realms that we could, uh, <laughs> we could talk about. But um, I should also say um, the reason I got to Nashville was kind of a really weird story. And uh, mm-hmm. it has to do with Rhett Akins, and that's Thomas Rhett's dad. Oh, wow. Um, oh, he, I was on Twitter one day and I decided to start following a few more people and I followed Thomas Rhett and then Twitter suggested that maybe I, I follow somebody, some other people that are similar to Thomas Rhett and one of them was Rhett Akins and I didn't really know yeah. much about him and all I knew was like, I think he used to be an artist. I kind of remember that one song he mm-hmm. had and I just, I hit follow. I didn't think much about it. And then a few hours later, I had a direct message in my inbox, and it was from Brett Akins, and he was oh, like, wow. hey, I, I saw that you followed me, and I went to your YouTube channel, and I really like your material, and this is when I was still up in Canada, and he was like, I'm not sure what your plans are, but if you ever want to come to Nashville, I'd love to find a way to help you, because I, I, I want to, you know, embolden this art that you have, and so a few months later, I was meeting him, I was in his house. And um, about a year after that, he signed me to a publishing deal. And so that was actually how I got to Nashville. So I owe a lot also to Mr. Oh, wow. Ray. <laughs> wow. You just never yeah. know where things are going to go. Or... No, I mean, I. you hear about stuff like that, and, and I know how rare it is to have um, that sort of be the story of, of how you get to town. And so I'm aware how lucky I am that it's uh, pretty rare that that stuff happens. So since you had since you basically moved from family from way up in Canada to Nashville, what's your parents think of what's happening now? Well, my parents are farmers and they mm. don't really <laughs> not really involved in show business whatsoever and um they're very supportive now. I think it took them a minute because, uh, like I told <laughs> you guys, when I was I told them I wanted to do this when I was like 18 and I think they were really hopeful that it was a phase and that I would find something a little more practical to do. And I I understand it. I totally get it because, you know, we talked about it already. It's, it's pretty grueling and it takes a lot out of you. Mm. So anyway, Mm -hmm. I think at first they weren't as, uh, as stoked on it, but now they, they get it and they've seen that it's something I'm really passionate about and that I'm willing to sacrifice and work hard for and be smart about, you know, I'm not, I think their their fear initially was that I was just going to sit around and hope something would happen yeah. and let time go by. Mm-hmm. And I think I had to show them, you know, telling them wasn't enough. I had to show them that I was yeah, willing to, you know, use my weekends and not go on vacations and, you know, save all my income for gear and for travel mm-hmm. and things like that. And I think now that they see it's a real passion of mine, uh, they're, you know, biggest fans. <laughs> so it's great. Now, now, was there a moment to where they they did something where they went above and beyond and you're like, wow, they get that this is my passion now? Or was there ever a moment where you saw a twist? What, what happened? I feel like you? There, there probably definitely was. I don't know if there was like a specific moment, mm-hmm. but um, I think it was probably when they started sharing like stuff on social media, like, sharing when I had shows or 
sharing links to songs and stuff and we're kind of like mm-hmm. you know proud to share it and proud to talk about it with people <laughs> and um i think also the one of the benefits of living in a small town is people know your business pretty quickly and so <laughs> i think my parents they started having people come up to them and, and ask them about me and i think that was when they started oh, wow. to see that it was you know word of mouth was getting around and it was um turning into something a little more substantial and tangible and i think when they started seeing other people, you know, getting excited about it, I think they were able to wrap their head around it that much more. Cause when it's just your teenage kid who wants to do something like you don't really know how much ground it has. Right. And I, so I totally understand yeah. it, but yeah, yeah, I mm-hmm. think it probably took other people, um, you know, investing in it. And I think that was, they were sort of like, Oh wow, this thing actually has legs and, and it's actually doing something. So yeah, it was probably around. And I love that story. And I love that story because, you know, I like to bring out stories that other people don't talk about because th- this is probably one of the most important stories. You had to prove yourself to your parents, even though your parents loved you. They, they just didn't yeah. understand the industry because a lot of people, I think, that they see the Blake Shelton and then they see the broke um, cousin who's trying to do music. They don't realize yeah. that there's like many levels between there where people can live on music, but they don't yeah. see that side of it. And I think so because they don't see that side of it, it's not known. All they know is the people that are broke, and that's all they know. So yeah. I love that you, you were like, you know what, I just had to prove it to them. And mm-hmm. when you did, they turned. And I think a lot of artists need to hear that. Well, yeah, because I don't think – and I never thought this about my parents. It was never about whether or not this kind of racket makes money. It was never about that. Yeah. I think it was just about yeah. proving your – your perspective and proving that this is something you truly want to do and that you're willing to sacrifice Mm. for. And, you know, my parents will always say, you know, like, we just want you to be happy. And I think that they, like, they see that, you know, I was making a substantial effort and I was giving things up, you know, stuff that I didn't want to give up. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was um, entering a lot of contests and trying to, you know, just make my name, just get my name out there. And so I think, probably the thing that really changed their minds was seeing me give things up that were hard to give up for the Mm, sake of my career. And I think that really Mm -hmm. shows just how much you want something when you're willing to bypass other things that are cool. So, yeah. You you know, I always heard a quote that said that you either sacrifice for your dreams or your dreams become the sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that it's funny how uh, some people like to accuse certain artists of selling out, you know, doing something because, you know, like mm. doing something that's mainstream or whatever. And, you know, everybody has their reasons. Um, who knows what they are. But I also think there's, you know, there's some people who sell out just in their daily life where they, you know, maybe they didn't yep. want to do something, but they didn't, they didn't go after it or whatever. And, uh, you know, I think mm-hmm. you can, anybody can be a sellout. So I don't think it's, it's just, uh, <laughs> you know, artists that can do that. I think that, uh, if you're not going after what you want in your life, um, you're to some degree, out. you're, you're, you're doing a disservice to yourself. And, you know, I love that you just brought that up because I always, sometimes I tell the story where and I've got friends of mine that, you know, because, you know, you always see people try to steal that passion from an artist and I always try to stop them because I've got friends of mine that say they're 10, 15 years in their career. So they've been doing it for a while, which means they went to four, six years of college, too. So they've been really right. invested here. 
and they're miserable. And you sit down with some of them, the ones that are honest. Now, granted, there's some that are miserable and it has nothing to do with the career. But there are some that, yeah. that you sit down with and you're talking and you're like, well, man, you've you got this great lifestyle. You've got this great family. You've got this amazing career. And some of them will stop you and say, no, well, the career is the problem. And I'm always like, mm. what, what, what do you mean the career is the problem? You went to six years of college for this. And right. they're like, oh, well, I didn't. I did it because my parents, my guidance counselor, my friends, whoever, said right. that this is where the money's at. That what I really right. wanted to do, there was no money. So I listened to that, and now they're miserable. Yeah, I mean, that stuff catches up to you, I think, if you're, if you're doing something for the wrong reason. It will it'll find a way back to you. Yep. And you know, speaking of parents, you know, we're a parent and we've got an eight year old and a seventeen month old and, and we always bring our we, we kinda have a third co host we say. Um our little boy, little Chris. He's um, always let him ask one question to each artist. The same okay. gonna get him on and, and when Caitlin gets old enough, believe me, we'll be plugging her in because we are a family affair. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. <clears throat> so she's getting him now. Get on. All right, here is Christopher with his question. Hi, Sigamore. What's your favorite? My favorite food is hot chicken. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite food? Pizza. Oh, that's a good choice. You can never go wrong with pizza. What, what's your favorite kind of pizza? Pepperoni and sausage. Ooh, good choice. Great choice. Awesome. <laughs> And and he can eat Bye, it. Bye. <laughs> Bye. And, and he he comes and goes quick, but we love it, and he loves it, and he can eat pizza. He does. I'll tell you. Has it, it, it ever changed from pizza? Oh, what? I love it. Has it ever changed from pizza? No, he's sticking with pizza. I think a couple times he's mentioned pickles. He's like obsessed with pickles. He loves them. So, but, I love but pickles. Pretty so, much so, so, pizza so, so, and then so that's pickles. That's probably his two favorite is pickles and pizza. Oh. Yes. Oh, good. Solid taste. Yep. So if you could co-write with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be, and what would you want to write about? I love Lana Del Rey. She's one of my favorite pop artists, and I think she's just pushing the envelope and doing <laughs> whatever the heck she wants to do. And I love when an artist is in touch with that and it isn't tra- chasing a trend. And so I think uh, yeah. I think we could write and, yeah. and do something really cool together. Um, as far as what we would write about, we'd probably write something sad because <laughs> she writes a lot of sad songs and so do I. So. <laughs> Something cool. a bit of a, a tearjerker, but I think it would be good. Yeah. I'm about to ask a question. I have a purpose for the way I ask it, and I'll explain right after. <clears throat> but if you had a magic wand, and what you're about to say would 100% come true, where do you want to be in five years? And the reason I'm asking it kind of in this way, I want the artist to open up, because this past February made the five-year anniversary that we asked that question to Kelsey Ballerini. And the answer wow. she gave us back then is almost to the T of what she's lived. I mean, she knew where she was going. She had that vision. Every I, And if I remember correctly, every piece that she said she wanted to do, she has already done in five years. Wow. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I always like to tell that story to get artists to realize a lot can happen in five years. Um, so yeah. all bets were off. Where do you want to be in five years? Oh, five years. 
I mean, I think I would love to be touring on an international level. I want to be able to play overseas, you know, different continents. Um, I would love to have played the Opry. Haven't done that yet. Um, I mean, I'd love, you know, Grammys, like album of the year, Grammy. I mean, that's always been a goal of mine. Not that accolades are everything, but, you know, I just think it's a cool bucket list item to have. Um, you know, headlining my own tours, uh, hopefully with my own uh, merch line, clothing line. I've always wanted to do that. Um, and just still making, you know, every album should be better than the last. I think that's probably the central goal is it always needs to come down to the good music. Yeah. And just being Love able that. to fully yes. express art without uh, without fear of chasing mm-hmm. a trend or chasing anything. I think uh, – those are the big ones. I mean, I probably could get into the really nitty-gritty of, like, other things. But, yeah, those are the yeah. big ones. The basics. Yeah. Um, now, let's say that you look five years, ten years, fifteen, whatever it is. You look down the road, and you're there. If, you're, if you now could meet your future self, what would you tell her? My future self. Uh, yeah. Instead of past self, because everybody know. else knows yeah. the other way. We're, yeah. So we, 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 we're taking it. If you could meet your future self, what would you tell her? I mean, it's kind of hard. I guess I would tell her to remember, you know, what got her where she is and remember what is truly important in life. Because I think as soon as you lose sight of that, Mm -hmm. if you forget your roots, you forget where you come from, you forget what actually makes you happy and what motivates Mm -hmm. you it doesn't really matter what happens to you. You're, you're going to be miserable. And so I think, yeah, yeah, if I had to talk to somebody from the future who's going ahead of me, I could just be like, remember everything it took to get you to where you are, because you <laughs> know, those that. are all things that build you and they'll continue to build you, you know, in five years to come. And, and I love that because I love the answers that we get on that one. Cause of course it's a different type of question, oh, yes. but I love yeah. them too. Cause I, I I think part of the purpose of me asking that question is so that the, the artist can also remember it right now. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that it's <clears throat> like, I think the other thing that probably other artists have said is, you know, trying to remind yourself to be present because mm-hmm. like I, I think I said it earlier as artists, we're almost programmed to just be looking to the next thing. Cause you know, I, I always personally feel like I'm late, like I'm like I'm always trying to catch up. And so if I accomplish <laughs> something, I don't take that long to celebrate it because I'm like, OK, great. That should have happened three years ago. So now let's go to the next thing. And I think yeah. you lose you yeah. lose that celebratory spirit and, and being able to just have some contentment even for a little while. Yeah. Just be like, holy crap, I did it. You know, like. Yeah, because you uh, can't get those mm-hmm. little moments back. You really can't, and I think, yeah, that's probably something else I would tell my future self is to just remember to be present and uh, mm-hmm. don't always worry about what's happening next year, tomorrow, next week. Like, just be happy with what's going on right now. Love that. Now, let's say you had a friend of yours, and let's say you heard him or her sing, and let's say they definitely got something there. I mean, there's something special. And let's say that they've played 30, 40 shows, maybe even 50 shows. So they're still getting their feet wet on the performance side. But they've gotten on stage, and they got what every artist says, that stage bug where they look over the crowd. The crowd's roaring, and they're like they just know they're in the right place. 
and they come mm-hmm. to you and they say, I feel like I'm supposed to do this with the rest of my life. What advice would you give that specific person to help guide them the next two, three, four years? Well, I would tell them, first of all, if they truly feel in their bones like they're supposed to do it, um, to definitely go for it and to, you know, sort of echo what we were saying before, like go all in. There's really no sense in holding back because there's a part of you that's afraid that it won't work. Like the only way it's going to work is if you go all in and Mm – I would also tell them to whatever it is that makes you different, lean into that because nobody, nobody wants to see a pale imitation of somebody else. You know, the thing that is resonating and causing that groundswell is the excitement of stumbling on an artist that's doing something you've never seen before, you know, and Mm. I think some people, mm-hmm. the irony in that is there's so many people who will shy away from what makes them different because they may not like that part of themselves or they're afraid to show it because it's not something that's been seen and they're afraid they're going to be rejected. And the reality is, you know, all the artists that are legacy artists that are going to live forever and stand the test of time, they at one point or another were a new artist and they were doing something no one had ever seen before. And so... Yeah. You got to take that risk yes. and and Look embrace at it. Don't <laughs> exactly, you know, like Elvis was like no one had ever heard anything like Elvis and he upset a lot of people, but he also, you know, created the foundation for rock and roll basically and yep. you know like yeah. You got to you got to keep that in mind and and if you want to be an artist that's going to be remembered forever, you can't be doing something that someone else already did. And so I think whatever makes you different, you know, let that, let that fly. And that's what people are going to really resonate with. And I love that advice because like even with our show, there's a lot of people who do shows like what we're doing. We have to find a way to be different. And, of course, right. when we first launched, one way is we're a married couple. I don't know of any other married couples that doing a show like this. So that, mm-hmm. that already puts us in – in a different category, but I wanted more. Yeah. And I remember I looked and listened to a lot of shows and I remember thinking, you know what? <laughs> Big artists have this, but the rising artists don't. I was like, I know how I'm going to be unique. We're going to, cause most, most shows, they give people 20 minutes, 25 minutes. That's not right. long enough. If you, if you want to talk about some of their stories, so we're going to give, we're going to give artists 60 minutes at, so that they can share parts of their story because um, nobody else is doing that really on the level that we're trying to dig deep into. And I was like, that's yeah. where we'll be different. That's where we'll be unique. And that's what we've tried to do. Yeah, I think I love that because you are right. You know, sometimes when you get a five minute interview, you end up kind of getting a hit parade of the same question over and over again. And mm-hmm. I think it's, mm-hmm. and especially nowadays in the music industry, people are so um, curious about, people's origin story and, you know, like I said, what makes them different. And so I think having an hour to just kind of chat about it and let stuff organically come up, I think it's great. I love that. And we've got two more little questions and then we'll let you get Mm -hmm. out of here. Um, Okay. As you know, as a, as a rising artist, you probably have other friends that are rising with you um, that people don't know about. So if you want to talk about one or two people that you know that people should know, yeah, I mean, um, being a Canadian artist, I'm always trying to root for, for my Canadian friends. And so uh, 
I'll shout out a guy named Jojo Mason. Um, he's doing really well in Canada right now. He just put out a new single. And he's doing, like, this radio tour thing where he's he's in, like, an RV. And he's just hmm. basically taking huh. his show on the road and then, like, singing from the from a stage they have beside the RV and doing a socially distanced oh, cool. radio tour. And, uh, oh, wow. you know, he's always just been very... Uh, very inventive with his team and uh so i'll definitely shout him out and uh let's see i'm trying to think there's like i can, I can think of a million artists i'm just trying to think of like <laughs> ones that like they're always a little bit like they're, they're almost like they don't need my help they don't <laughs> they don't need a shout out um but yeah i mean Mackenzie porter she's uh she's been around she's just had three back-to-back-to-back number ones in canada She's signed down here oh, wow. in Nashville, and uh, she's doing really well. And, uh, you know, her music is hella catchy, so people should check that out for sure. <laughs> that is awesome. So as we start to come to a close here um, and finish with the last, we always end with the same question. What is a question that you wish hosts like us would ask but they kind of never do? Oh, gosh. I mean, you guys have done such a good job. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> and we love to I hear mean, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm always a fan of, of random questions, like whether it's like, you know, tell us a story from, you know, your childhood or something that happened from there, like, because they always end up leading uh, to some kind of cool conversation or, but like, mm-hmm. yeah. you guys have done a really good job of sort of like taking the conventional questions and, you know, making them your own and, and, you know, causing me, the artist to kind of have to think about it just in a slightly different way. Cause it keeps it fresh for me. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there's always, like I said, there's always questions that you could probably be tempted to ask because they're sort of the run-of-the-mill questions. But um, yeah. I'm always, I'm always mm-hmm. interested. Even when I watch other people, like interviews with actors or whatever, like it's always funny to hear just some, some tidbit they've never talked about before. And so, yeah, I think just asking somebody to tell a story from, you know, whether it was their childhood or one of their first shows, um, actually, asking people yeah. their most embarrassing moments is actually usually pretty entertaining. Tell us that one. What's and... your most embarrassing moment? <laughs> yes. Well, one of my most embarrassing, uh, like stage <clears throat> moments, I guess, was um, uh-huh. back when I was just playing around uh, in Calgary in the local scene. I had this residency at this um, like Italian restaurant, and one time I was playing and I was like doing an intro to a song. I play guitar when I when I play and the headstock mm-hmm. of my guitar, um, there was all these wine bottles that were like mounted on the wall. And I didn't realize that they weren't like, oh, I thought they were just for display. I thought they were just like uh-huh. glued yeah. and I didn't realize there was real mm-hmm. wine. And the headstock <laughs> of my guitar, like knocked one of these wine bottles, like one of these Chianti bottles. And it like clacked all the way down the shelf and then shattered at my feet. And it was like, it looked like a crime scene because it was red wine. And I didn't know oh, what wow. to do. Cause it's like, this one is like leaking, like coming towards my sound equipment. And I don't want to, I, I rented the equipment. I didn't want to wreck it. So I had to just like stop playing and like say into my mic, like, sorry, I think we need a mop and stuff over here. <laughs> like, it was wow. so embarrassing. And the worst part I think was when it shattered, everybody went, Oh, like it was like this whole crowd reaction. So it's not like nobody saw it. And I yeah. think I turned as red as the wine. I was so, so embarrassed. <laughs> but, uh, the funny thing I, is, you, like, I love that. on stage, you weirdly oh. just shut that part off. Like, you're embarrassed for a second, yeah. but you're always just like, mm-hmm. I can't revel in this. I have to just keep going. So that's yes. definitely one of my uh, classier stories. Love that. So what a great note to end on. Love the stories <laughs> and all that. 
So as you um, tell everybody how they can reach out to you. Yeah, so I think the um, the big thing is just Sycamore is kind of a weird name to spell, and if you spell it right, you can you can see everything. And so it's S Y K A M O R E. And so um, I'm probably most active on Instagram, but I also have Facebook and Twitter. And my website is sycamoremusic.com. And there's contact you know info on all those. And so if you want to reach out, uh, that's the best way to do it. I also have a community uh, text number and the number actually escapes me right now, but it's on my Instagram page. Uh, and if you text that number, um, it's, it goes to an app and then I, I can text you through that number. So, um, yeah, lots of ways to reach out. And, and, you know, talking about the spelling of your name, it's real easy to accidentally put the, put the K before the Y. I learned that today. <laughs> I know. And that's, you know, and I didn't, that wasn't like a dig at you or anything. Like it's, it's very, very commonly, uh, misspelled and it's just because it's such a, like, it's not like a real name. And so, um, yeah, like I don't blame y'all at all. Yeah. Like it's, uh, guy uh, I was like, kind of, Oh, I didn't catch when that. They read it. No, you're fine. <laughs> you're totally fine. Um, but yeah, like that's why I like to just make sure people know because yeah. if you if you do yeah. spell it incorrectly, nothing's gonna come up. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, it's, you guys are not the first, and you won't be the last. Like it happens all the time, so don't even worry about it. <laughs> all right. So we really enjoyed having you on the show today. We definitely yes. look forward to having you back down the road. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, and you have a great day. You too. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.